0: Are you willing to go to any length? And I was like, absolutely. And he goes, do you know what that means? I go, no. You know, but I didn't care. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, have, I don't care what it is. Do I have to wear a dress? Do I have to jungle, you know, chihuahuas? I don't know. Whatever it is, I'll do it. He goes, are you willing to let God into your life? And that right there is the difference between guys like me that make it and guys that don't
1: you're listening to the building men podcast with dennis and anthony miralda brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself
2: mentally spiritually emotionally and physically
1: brother how's it going i'm doing great could you, cameraman, camera one, camera two? Camera, camera one. one. It's uh, Wayne's World. Camera two. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it sure is. So real quick, fun story. Uh, we were talking uh, in between podcasts today and uh, maybe think about a story from my upbringing, from my childhood. You're talking about mom and dad were on vacation. And so when I was 17 years old, mom and dad went to, you were little. you were you were staying with us. You They went to Florida. And so it was me. Tara, Megan, and you. I was, I guess, responsible enough to to be in charge. You were three years old at the time. We threw a fucking rager. We threw a big party, and I'll never forget this. Like we we had kegs of beer. I don't know who got them for us, but we had kegs of beer. You and Megan were upstairs sleeping, and we had like fifty people at the house. High school kids at the house. I was at the house. Yeah, I, I, I like. I just thought about that right now. I was seventeen. You were three, and I was in charge of you. And mom and dad were were either on a cruise or in florida or some shit i don't know maybe they're like swinger party or something who knows but listen i they were we i was in charge and we had a party and i'll never forget this i was at the table and i i poured myself an ice cold beer and i i knocked it over and i was so mad i got up and i punched a hole in the wall and we had this like like the southwestern um wallpaper Mm. in the house and i punched a hole in the wall i'm like fuck i got a fix this now. And so I'll never forget, before mom and dad got home, I was like, I, I tried to fix it, I couldn't do it. Uh, because the rock had to be fixed and then the wallpaper had to be fixed. So I wrote him a note. And I, I said, we got to ask mom about this. I said, everything went really well. I there was a problem though, I was um I spilled orange juice on the floor, and I was mopping it up. And I was dancing in the kitchen, mopping it up just being stupid. And I slipped after I mopped it up. And I put my elbow through the wall. <laughs> That was the story that I told I mean, him. We've all been there before, <laughs> the, the, you know. The, the mopping up the after throwing the orange juice. mop and dance moves that you do. Listen, that's one of my signatures, right? I just can't believe that I was upstairs and I was just a lot, a lot going on there, right? Yeah. I just wanted to share that story. It was on my mind, and you know, I enjoyed the couple minutes before we have a guest. I'm just, you know, sharing some stupid <laughs> shit. But that was the story—the mopping of the of the spilled orange juice. That really wasn't. It was a beer that I spilled, and I punched a hole in the wall. And I love and how it, they gave you like
2: 200 something dollars for the week, and you spent it all on cakes right, on I mean, the first night beer. that they were gone, guys, and had
1: to eat. You guys had milk yep, and bread. You had bread and that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. i like just like, like you know crackers. what? It's, like. <laughs> Your, the, the most important years,
2: developmental years of my life. And well, like, look at your success now. Look at so me it's now. All good.
1: And speaking of uh, overnight successes, overnight five year successes <laughs> as an entrepreneur, we're going to bring in our guest. His name is Omar Pinto. He is a life coach, he is an addiction recovery specialist, a mindset coach. He is also the host of the Omar Pinto Coaching Podcast. Thank God they found him for that podcast. He has the right name for the podcast, <laughs> right? Welcome him. aboard, Omar. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Holy cow. What a coincidence. You, right. you put Thank your resume God. in there. You're like, I'm perfectly. the man for the job I am the fucking man for this. Well, job. that's my name. Oh shit <laughs> So first question Omar, do you have any of those stories like going back to your childhood that you know You did something really fucking stupid and you told a story that was so off the wall that now you look back You're like, are you fucking kidding me? I really thought that this would fly.
0: Oh dude, I as soon as you said Rage your parties <laughs> I immediately went back to my high school days and was like, I, I used to have, whenever my parents would leave, it was on, it was always on. And I mean, I'd have, I'd start handing out flyers in the high school, right? And one of the parties, actually, one of the first parties, because I was, this is how stupid I was, you know, I, I, one of the parties that I was, one of the first parties, I, was show, I went out around and I was handing out these flyers in school. Okay, guys, this weekend, rage your party at my house, man. You know, kegs, <laughs> blah, 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 music, this whole thing, right? One of the flyers gets tossed on the floor, and one of the teachers finds it and goes right to the principal's office and goes, You might want to call Omar Pinto's family. You might want to call his parents cuz looks like he's going to be throwing a, pay- a rager. Right? And so, I come home and my mom's like, "So, uh, you got any plans for this weekend?" And I'm like, "No, I'm just going to be chilling at the house, you know, just while you guys are away. Don't, you know, it's all good. Don't even worry about me." "Oh, we're worried about you. All right, tell us a little bit about Omar's cantina." Oh, man. <laughs> Shit. There's no way to ex- there was really no excuse that I could come up with that was appropriate for that one, right? But ultimately, obviously, the party did not happen. But as the years went by, I would persist. And so when my parents would leave, I would throw these kick-ass parties, Omar's Cantina, just fucking drink it. I had made this sign. I had actually drawn out a sign. It was over the kitchen cabinet. You know, I had probably about $1,500 worth of alcohol that I'd stolen from the grocery store that I used to work from. Okay. <laughs> and every time my parents, I had crates downstairs of mixers and alcohol and like, you name it, whatever you needed, the little margarita or the, oh. the, the martini shakers, you know, it was, it was on. And so uh, years later, my little sister took over for me. And so the story that I was thinking about was because here's what i would do i had it all planned out the party would be on friday friday night so i'd have two days to clean the house because we would trash it. oh yeah then i would i would rent one of those those little steam cleaners for the carpets right and i would we would literally like for two days we would steam clean the carpets clean all the windows you got to go through all the drawers anyone's listening to this and you're younger you know you got to (laughs) get trying to get away from with parties got to check all the drawers for bottle caps, condoms, shit like that, because they people will hide stuff in the drawers just to fuck you up, right? So words of the wise. My sister ends up when I left to go to college, right? She was still at home, and she threw a rage party at the house, and they had a barbecue outside. The barbecue fell over, oh. burned a hole in the, burned a hole in the in the uh, deck. And I had to come and do damage control. To this day, I still don't know why I chose to like step up because she's useless. As like, (laughs) yeah, just uh, uh, let's just leave it there. I had to. I had to redo the deck, right? And then going inside, go the house is trashed.
1: I don't know what to do,
0: right? And I had to, and you know that the typical crap, right? And then I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to tell my parents. But I remember something to the effect of gosh I can't even actually I think I just I don't think I said anything and hoped that they wouldn't figure it I think what we did was just toss some dirt on it right and kind of like tried to like put like a powder coat over it so it almost looked like it was age it was crazy stuff man so anyway as you were telling that story all I could think about was all the crazy high school parties I've thrown and all the work it took when I think back oh. of it, I was like what a bunch of freaking work it took to throw a goddamn party right. right and all for what
1: and i'll tell you i mean your sister brought shame to the pinto cantina fucking legacy right i mean th- that's got to be something that still like gets at you right like you fucking like i set this up for you this you basically had a franchise that that was like this was like the, <laughs> the unbelievable franchise and you you besmudged be smudged the name of the pinto cantina
0: well uh the only reason why she did it is because she couldn't handle it. Okay, if you can't, if it, what is it? If you if you can't, you can't take well, the heat, get out of the kitchen. If you, can. if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. All right. I would spend two days. I'd had broken glass. I had to go and in the middle of a weekend go find glass to to replace a glass table that got busted. Clean the concrete where there was a fight outside, and and pots got broken. Blood on the floor. You know. I mean. It was it was some of the most epic crazy and now that i'm saying it it's probably one of the best times of my life what so
1: so here's the thing i definitely didn't even think go, i was going down this path with you here but Here's the problem in the in fucking society today, right? You <laughs> had to become Harvey Keitel from Pulp Fiction. You had to become yes! the one that came yes! in and fucking cleaned well, up yeah, the that, shit, right? The like like, like yeah. you were fucking the wolf. You were fucking Omar Pinto, the motherfucking. Wolf. And I'll tell you what, how
2: amazing my mind used to work when I would have to deal with that, the aftermath of a party. I mean, I all of a sudden was like, I got it. I know exactly what we need to do, and I would yes. literally clean everything up. So I, I'm just thinking back to a story. This is. So so stupid. <laughs> I'm like, and this is not my finest moment. But like, so I when I would drink the uh, bottles of alcohol that my parents had, they weren't. They didn't drink a lot of hard alcohol. They just they would have their beer. My dad would have like Red Dog or something. Growing up. Oh, Red Dog,
1: Red Dog, oh, yeah. Red Dog. And that's when like, is that
0: even a real thing? No. It's a, it's it's a, a knock, beer. It's, it's like, like a knockoff Budweiser. Yeah. It's like a cheaper
2: version of
1: Budweiser. There's a
0: knockoff, a cheaper version of a Budweiser. We're
1: gonna send you a thirty a thirty rack of Red Dog. We're, we're gonna spend the three dollars and whatever it costs to ship to Costa Rica. Yeah. It's it gets <laughs> it's worth it. a red dog. But so
2: I I took their bottle of Finlandia and over time I just kept drinking and pouring a little bit more in like a water bottle or something, and before I knew it the whole thing was gone right and I'm like oh shit so I'm just like they don't even drink it I'll just fill it up the whole thing up with water not just diluting it uh. the bottle of Finlandia was now a bottle of water so sure enough Thanksgiving rolls around I don't know if you remember this but Mom? mom's like I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a uh, what did a, what screwdriver? Was, a screwdriver she's like ooh, let's make screwdrivers today so she like she's like here we go and so she pours herself a glass of this and, and she's like she's like wow this tastes great she has like three of them she's like I'm feeling a little loopy (laughs) (laughs) she's literally like acting like she's drunk and one of our family friends comes over and he's like oh can i have a glass she pours it one for him and he's like pat there's no alcohol in here this is like (laughs) i don't know what the fuck you're talking about all the while i'm like sneaking into my room like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck
1: (laughs) i absolutely love that and here's the thing too (laughs) In your journey, and we'll get to some like men's development and life coaching and whatever eventually, Omar, but here's what's, what's missing today is you learn so much about yourself and so much about navigating difficult situations in the cleanup post-party. You have to think about things on such a deep level. Going deep, through, deep level, like going through an deep. experience of like, holy fuck! Let me find every cigarette butt that could possibly exist every, here, like, yep. like every wh- cigarette butt, like every bottle cap, all that shit. And you have, like, then you have to problem solve. You have to like navigate, you these put yourself in their shoes. Situations like, what are they going to really, do? When they walk in here, <laughs> right? So I, again, didn't want to go down. Didn't think we we're going down this path, but really, the the wolf, the fucking wolf. The wolf. Omar taught like us like that. what? Yeah, yeah. You're, we need to like get the logo going, and you just give us like, a couple royalties. You know, once you have the the logo out there, we'll talk about that. Later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even just the beard—I mean, I could just fucking see it right now. Yeah, the wolf with a pair of glasses on—it's
0: perfect. Yeah. Omar, I'm you- just listen, listen. If you can picture the wolf, okay, and how he came into this to, into into the scene, right? Deadpan, serious. Like serious shit. Like no joke. This is how I show. Now that I think about it, it's like crazy. This is how I show up at the development. Whenever I show up, you know, and there's a, all these construction workers working in the architect there. And I show up like the fucking wolf, like just this scowl on my face. Yeah. I'm looking for shit like my parents. Yep. Oh, my God. Like I am looking. I'm like, what is this? Can someone explain this to me? Oh, this this is seriously can someone can someone explain this to me i just i'm just trying to understand right and i'm like oh my god this is where it comes from my parents used to come home my father was we used to call him the sergeant okay and he they'd come home and my dad immediately had that same look on his face oh my god there it is and he'd come in like this just i mean he wouldn't even he went like hey son how are you you know how was your weekend he'd come in hey what's going on and i'm like hey dad how was the trip hold on and he would just start yep. going through the house and everything is spotless i mean you can see still on the carpet the grooves from the machine <laughs> all right that it's like it's pristine the house is in better condition than when they left it my dad's like mm, you threw a party yeah <laughs> You fucking threw a party, didn't you? I'm like, what are you talking about? Listen, I love you guys. Yeah, and I I want to make sure when you come home that this house is spotless. Absolutely. I mean, legit. He's like. I, I can't even hear it. Thank God the house is clean. Just get, get the fuck yep. away from
1: me. You're you like know? you're like dad. My sister was here. I steam cleaned the fucking back deck. I steam cleaned the back deck. Don't, you, don't I get any credit for that? It doesn't. It doesn't like remedy a hole in the deck from a fucking barbecue spill uh, on it. But it's steam clean right now.
0: No need to segue into the fact that one of my intros is addiction recovery specialist. That's where I was, that's how I'm going to, yeah.
1: definitely going <laughs> to segue into that. But the, the, that free therapy session was brought to you by Building Men. Building Men, reach out to us if you need some therapy sessions. <laughs> yeah. In 14 minutes, we'll help you uncover some shit from your childhood <laughs> that you didn't even realize existed. So Omar, so now th- all those parties that are existing, and now we'll start, like, all those parties that you went to, like you were the fucking, you were the man that was throwing these parties. Ha- talk to us a little bit about from that point in your life, so pick up on that school. Time frame. How did you get involved in addiction recovery? Like, talk to us about that fucking scary journey that you went on, where that became part of what you do now.
0: Well, the, the, it's it's kind of it's really an epic and beautiful journey. Now that you frame it this way, right? I had never even thought about the 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 coping skills that were not, that I not only developed, but I already had inside of me. I was a problem solver from go. Now I've always had to wear glasses. I've been wearing glasses since I was five years old. I've um, I mean, I leg- I'm legally blind. I can't drive, okay, and, and so I've had to wear glasses since I was since I was a child. Undiagnosed ADD. I mean, always been obsessive compulsive. You know, dyslexia, all this stuff. Like school was a nightmare for me. So I had to figure out how to work around everything. How how to how to pass tests. How to study. You know, how to get things done. And so I didn't even re- really realize that what was happening is I was just becoming. And at the same time, because I wore glasses and because I had shitty grades and because I was not much of an athlete, right? I was always kind of like very. My dad was always like, "Careful not to break your glasses. They cost a lot of money." Right? So I was always kind of concerned about breaking my glasses. I couldn't play football. You know, one time I was playing baseball and I was a catcher and I was warming up the pitcher without a helmet on, right? And boom, it it hit off my glove, broke my glasses, went into my eye, right? End of playing baseball for me, right? So it was like, no sports, shitty in school, not a lot of friends, kind of a geek, maybe a lot of a geek, you know? And so the, you know, me growing up was like, God fucking, how much more difficult is this life of mine going to be? And then at 16 and a half years old, I was at a house party and I had my first beer. And it was like the first time i did not feel out of place you know it was the first time i felt comfortable in my own skin like i felt like the best way to describe it is i felt like me i felt like there was a version of me that was inside of me that just was afraid to come out was afraid to be seen uh was afraid to be recognized and i just started talking to everybody in the place and i'm cracking jokes and i'm talking to girls right i'm just fearless and I, I'm thinking to myself, this is the most amazing feeling of my life. Like, I, uh, where's alcohol been my whole life? And so immediately, you know, it's no surprise that whenever my parents would leave out of town, my first thought is epic party, lots of drinking so that I could be myself Maybe. and it could be in my space. And I mean, I threw epic, epic epic parties and they only got bigger when i moved out of the house i would still throw these epic parties right i was notorious and what did i need what was i looking for you know as a coach if i was coaching somebody you know automatically i say okay so there's this desperate need for acceptance desperate need for validation desperate need to feel to have self-worth self-esteem grasping at anything that that comes naturally to me. And the only time things came naturally to me when I was when I was drinking, because when I wasn't, I was struggling all the time, struggling to have friends, struggling to, you know, have a life, struggling, God forbid, struggling to have a girlfriend, right? It took me years before I could even have a girlfriend. I was just so socially awkward. And the alcohol just kind of took that all away. And so for, I would say from about 16 years old to 30 years old was my climb of, of drinking. And I was also very much... A moneyaholic. Okay, uh, it took me many years. It took me a lot longer to kick the moneyaholic than it did to get me to kick the alcoholic. Right, but when I was, I, since I was 14 years old, I was working. Okay, I didn't. I never took a summer vacation ever. When I was a, when I was a kid in school, soon as I mean, I wasn't even old enough to work. You can't even work till you're 16. I would work. I would go. I would. Here's another wolf thing. I would go to businesses and go. I'm not old enough to work, but I'll do whatever you need me to do. I need some cash. I'll work behind the table. And I would go from business to business to one of them said, dude, this kid's got fucking moxie. Bring him in. All right. You can come. And my mother's a Jehovah's Witness. So we didn't celebrate birthdays, Christmas, holidays of any kind. Right. So I was like, people desperately want holidays. I'll work. I'll work. Oh, double time. I'll work. Right. I was a grinder and I was a hustler and I always knew that if I was going to make it in this world, I was going to have to figure out a way to make money. And it wasn't going to be through getting an education in college. Right. Because I already knew I graduated high school with a three point two grade point average, barely made it. OK. And I was like, college, what? Right? I stammered around in college for a few years, struggled. I probably spent a good five years in college, never got a degree kept switching majors this shit's too hard you know and then finally i just started working okay right? and so ultimately what would happen is i was able to work all week and party like an animal on the weekends work all week party like an animal on the weekends And that, that was a good 10-year run of my life until i moved to costa rica right and so uh, i'm trying to make this as quick as possible no, but moving good. to moving to costa rica I was a mortgage broker in the states. I had gotten to a place where I was all the hustling paid off. So for the most part it was um waiter, bartender, assistant manager at a restaurant, um service industry stuff, okay? Mainly. That's how house car salesman, okay, like shit jobs. One of my friends that I was working with when I was the assistant manager at a Jamba Juice says, Omar, you should be doing mortgages. My, my husband's doing this. I go, I don't have a real estate license. I don't have a brokerage license. She goes, you don't even need that. You know, they just need guys that have a can talk. Right. And so I got introduced to predatory lending when I was about 27 years old. I don't know if you guys are familiar with predatory lending, but there would be these companies that would have these loans that would immediately, it would go up one percentage point every six months, okay? So you, maybe you start at 7% before, you're, and within two years, you're at already 10% interest, right? And it was these shitty loans. And so when I was in that business, one of the things that I do have is a conscience. And when I, when I got the job, they didn't really explain to me how it worked. It was almost like they gave me just enough information so my conscience wouldn't even know what I was doing. And how so they would have you sell things in a way that you didn't even know what you were selling. But when I figured out what I was doing, I was like, I gotta get out of this business. And what happened was um, in the course of this, I met someone who had left that and started their own brokerage firm and could give people decent loans, like good loans, right? I went into that. The thing is I'm a people person and, it, and I care deeply for people right so when people were in trouble right it was i'm a rescuer too so i was like oh this guy's in trouble we got to get him alone i'll do whatever it takes right and i would literally get loans for people that no one else could get we used to call it creative financing anyway i was kicking ass for the first time in my life i was making money for the first time like real money for the first time in my life you know i i had a girlfriend Um, that we, I was, I was planning on marrying, you know, I had my, I had a nice car, I had a nice apartment, you know, I was planning on buying my home. Like things were just like, I was like, oh my God, I, you know, like, I I think I've made it. Right. And at the same time I was miserable. Like I was so unhappy and I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell you for the life of me. I do know, I know now, but at the time I was like, I'm so miserable. Why is it I, I'm making more money and I'm not happy. And I'm with this beautiful girl and I'm not happy. And every time I spend a penny, I get angry and I'm bothered, you know, and I don't want to go out to eat and I don't want to take her out. And I'm like, penny pinching. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I got this, I, I ran into somebody at a men's warehouse. That was, you know, just in, the, in a men's warehouse. I was waiting for my buddy who was getting fitted for a suit, my partner. And this guy was just kind of like, you know, you know, very cocky, talky, talky, talky. And I started, I just started a conversation with him, right? He starts telling me about what he does and we start communicating. We switch cards, we start talking. And from one day to the next, he tells me, you know, I'm launching an online casino and sports book in Costa Rica and, you know, I think you'd be the right guy to run the operations. I think you'd be an amazing operations manager. I go, dude, and this was back in 98, okay? This is before computers were a thing, okay? Most people weren't using computers back then. We were still handwriting and typing and, uh, you know, underwriting loans, right? It was, none of it was computerized yet. And I was like, I don't know anything about computers. I don't know anything about sports betting. I, I don't even know where Costa Rica is. Is that is it costa rica is it puerto rico is it you know just geographically challenged i had no idea he's and so he gives me this this video cassette it was a vhs that's how long ago yes <laughs> gives me a vhs i go home i put on this vhs and there's guys in costa rica younger than me or my age making millions in the online gaming and i said this is it Oh my God, I'm gonna be a millionaire by the time I'm 35 years old. Boom! I'm going to Costa Rica. So that's what it was. You know, they 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 triggered the right button. I came out to Costa Rica. I launched this online casino and sportsbook, and instantaneously was surrounded by other Americans that had come down here. Every single one of them was doing tons of cocaine you know, smoking weed all day long in the office, these massive bars inside the office. So basically they were just partying and drinking all day. And I was like, what is this place? Oh, I've never seen anything like it. I've never been in an environment where partying and business basically go hand in hand. And so at that point, I, had, I was previously to moving to Costa Rica, was a weekend warrior. And I did my first line of cocaine a week after I moved to Costa Rica. And my life transformed instantaneously for the absolute worst. It was just as soon as I did my first line of cocaine, I literally thought, I was 10 feet tall, bulletproof. I was the smartest guy in the room, the best looking guy in the room, okay? Uh, the, uh, an actual savant, a genius. It was just absolute insanity. And when we talk about someone who is desperate for validation, desperate for acceptance, desperate to feel self worth, okay? And self acceptance, and acceptance, then this right here was the magic remedy to make me feel as though this is a, I could fit in anywhere. And um what happened was at the same time that I picked up this the the um, the addiction to cocaine it was a, it was a, it was still a gradual climb before it became a big issue at the same time I met uh this beautiful Costa Rican girl that I fell in love with immediately like the moment I saw her my girlfriend in the states it was like she just like disappeared. We'd been together for a year and a half. I forgot I had a girlfriend. I forgot I had a business in the States. I just completely lost my mind. It was like I a version of me died, got on a, you know, the other version got on a plane, landed in Costa Rica and started a brand new life. And so before I knew it, about a month in, I've got a new set of friends. I've got a brand new girlfriend. I've got a business that I'm launching. Right. And I am like, this uh, dream come true. It's, um, Oh my God, this is like the most amazing thing. And within four years, I had destroyed the business. Uh, my wife was six months. I'd married the the girl that I was dating. She ended up, uh, leaving me cause I, you know, couldn't stop using drugs and alcohol. She was six months pregnant. So because she was pregnant, she's like, fuck this guy. I'm out of here. Uh, I lost the business um, I was severely, severely addicted to cocaine. Like I could not stop, you know? Um, so I was physically in the worst shape of my life. You know, I, you know, it was, it was horrible. And then, uh, it all culminated in one night where I had done way too much drugs. I thought I was going to die. I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack. So I was like, I'd done too much blow and I'm drinking all this alcohol, trying to get it to come down. I'm starting to pop valiums, smoking weed, And then at some point I thought to myself, dude, how much drugs have you consumed in the last hour? I mean, I've lost count of how much I've consumed and nothing's helping. And I I think I'm going to have a heart attack. And this thought came to my mind that said, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. That wouldn't be such a bad thing. And I got on my knees for the first time in my life you know, because I had I had left God when I was about eighteen, and I didn't need that. I didn't need God in my life. I left when I was about eighteen years old, and I got I just got on my knees and I I said, God, I am no use to anyone, and I'm killing myself. I'm destroying my marriage. My daughter's going to be born born in a few months, and I am just an absolute monster, right? So just take me out, man. Take me out of this world. Don't let me wake up, or Help me get clean, right? That was my prayer. That was it. That was my prayer. Uh, obviously, I woke up the next morning. And I remember, because I had been battling with this for so long, I'd actually gone to a therapist. And he said, you need to go to 12-step meetings. You need, you, re, you are a full-blown drug addict. And you, this, that's the only thing that I've seen really help You know, people like you. And I just remember that conversation when I woke up the next morning. So I got up, picked up the clothes that were on the floor, got in my car drove straight to that therapist and I said can you help me I'm I'm desperate can you tell me where those meetings are at and uh he's like I'm so glad you're here I'm so glad you're here he, the meeting starts in an hour here's the directions get there as quickly as possible and ask for help you know and that's what I did I went there I went to the meeting and I sat down and said my name is Omar I'm an addict and I need help and these guys just like There's these men in the room that swarmed on me. Swarmed on me. And they're like, we got you. And they started telling me their stories, right? And that's the magic. That's the magic of sharing your story. Because you might think you're the biggest piece of shit that ever walked the face of the earth until you hear somebody else who's just a bigger piece of shit or worse. And it's that camaraderie and that connection that immediately gives you hope. And it had been a very long time since I had I had any kind of hope. I destroyed everything good in my life. Um, was this close to death, and twelve step saved my life, right? So I dedicated the next I dedicated the next ten years of my life strong to twelve step recovery. It took me about I would say a good solid year to really get my bearings before I started sponsoring other guys. And so I, I I would say a solid a solid nine, ten years of my life was spent from that moment on helping other guys get clean and sober right and so that's how my journey of personal development started, and that is where the addiction recovery specialist right. piece comes in.
1: So Omar, you mentioned that um, there was that that moment that you woke up um, and you the night before you're like, take me, I'm done. Uh, I'm going yeah, I'm I'm to, I'm cashing out. I don't need Just, to be here anymore. Yep. It was the George Bailey on the bridge. And it's a wonderful life moment where you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm better off not being here for anyone who has a relationship with me in the future. Um, so you, you wake up in the morning and there was this, this person who was in the form of an angel, basically helping you yes, understand that you an angel. need to, to go yes. from the moment that you woke up did you use again? Were you? Did you use cocaine again? Were you still popping pills? Was there a was there like a refractory period afterwards that you slowly got off of it, or was it a cold turkey moment for you?
0: It was a cold turkey moment for me, which was a, another realization of like a miracle because I could not stop. And so from the moment I I got up, drove to the to the therapist, got to the meeting, you know, shared, got the help that I needed from those guys it was the first time I went 24 hours without using anything. And I was able to get to that next meeting the next day because I had meetings there every day, right? And I wasn't working, so I could make a meeting every single day. So as long as I, as long as I could make a meeting every single day, yeah, I knew I had a shot. So every single day I was I was showing up to those meetings and then 24 hours and then 48 hours and then 72 hours. And this went on for about five months and I was going strong and then there was a bump in the road you know I found out that uh, my wife was seeing somebody and um, I just fucking derailed I just I I came unhinged you know Um, and I relapsed I went back out and used and I had an epic two month I would call it an epic Two month night of the uh, dark night of the soul, because it wasn't just the night; it was a entire two months of me trying to get high and not being able to. Okay, it was just miserable. I was paranoid. I was all gacked out. I was. I could not feel relief in that period of time, and I finally, towards the tail end of it, there was this beautiful realization that even if I want this, even if it, even if I want this to work, even if I do want to escape and numb and soothe myself with drugs and alcohol, that is no longer an option because it is, there is no joy in it. There is zero joy. There's zero relief. There's, it's only more pain, more suffering, more fear, more anxiety. And I just remember I, uh, I went, I got a new sponsor and he said, are you willing to, I said, dude, I need help. He says, are you done? I go, I'm fucking done, dude. I'm done. He goes, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm done. Right. Cause I asked him to be my sponsor and he says, are you willing to go to any length? And I was like, absolutely. And he goes, do you know what that means? I go, No. You know, but I didn't care. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I have, I don't care what it is. Do I have to wear a dress? Do I have to jungle, you know, chihuahuas? I don't know. Whatever it is, I'll do it. He goes, are you willing to let God into your life? And that right there is the difference between guys like me that make it and guys that don't. That question is usually the biggest stumbling block for anyone that's trying to get clean and sober. Are you willing to let God into your life? And I was like, dude, I'll let anyone in my life right now. That's going to help me. Right. And so from that moment on, right, it was a spiritual journey, right? It was just this introduction of a higher purpose and a higher power that is intervening here you know, he's like, there's no coincidences, all the shit that happened for you to get to this moment right here, right now. And if you think it is, you're sadly mistaken. So if you're going to get clean and sober, here's what you're going to have to do. All right? And boom, he just read me the riot act. You're going to come to meetings for 90 meetings and 90 days. And I don't want to hear fucking bullshit about it. We're going to meet every Monday. You're going to have step work to do. You better have it done on mondays when we show up to to meet you're going to stay away from all the people places and things where you were using we were partying with all your friends dead to you cut them out okay your ex-wife right now or your wife currently who's divorcing you right is like your kryptonite so you need to stay as far away from her as possible okay because all you're going all it's going to do is going to trigger you it was All I and all I could do was at that point was like, yes, 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 whatever, whatever you tell me to do, man, whatever you tell me to do. And for a solid year of my life, if that man told me, okay the toilet paper roll. No, you've got it on the wrong way. You have to turn the paper roll so the paper comes out from the backside, not from the front side. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. You don't buy already the ripened bananas. You buy the green bananas and you be patient and wait for them to turn brown. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. May I have another? Absolutely, sir. Thank you, sir. Okay. You wake up at six o'clock in the morning and you make your bed not at seven o'clock in the morning. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Right? Anyone who's listening to me right now, if that's not what your commitment is when you're deep, deep, so deep in the addiction, and it's got its hooks in you so deep that you don't know where it begins and you end. Then that's the only—that's the only shot you got. Is you have to basically uh, divorce yourself from making choices for you.
1: You—you you got emotional before Omar when you started to talk about initially when you went to the to the um, 12-step program. Um, You were talking about all these men that open up their arms to you. And then um, after that, you know, you had the the relapse. You went on this two-month bender. And then you found the sponsor who was the one um, who lit the path for you in the future. As you think back to those moments, is there a piece of advice or two that sticks out to you that if you didn't hear this this phrase this quote this advice in this moment you don't think you would have um been able to keep going in that direction
0: there is just countless dennis countless it all the cliches there's a a million cliches they're not a million but there's a ton of cliches in 12 steps uh fake it till you make it is one like are you willing to go to any length yes I don't even know what that is. You know what I mean? Are you willing to let God into your life? Yes. Fake it till you make it. Okay. There's, there's a big one, right? I couldn't let go of my ex-wife. I was desperately trying to get her back. Right. And one of the things, and I still remember this today because I use it as a coaching, as a coaching slogan, right? He, He goes, Omar, let me just make something very, very clear to you. Okay. This is what the Dalai Lama says. At the root of all suffering is attachment. And right now you are attached to an outcome that chances are is not going to manifest. And the harder you hold on to that attachment, to what it is that you feel you must have, no matter what, it is practically impossible for you to get clean. You need to let her go. If she comes back, it's God's will. And again... Are you willing to let God in your life is another thing, right? A spiritual connection is everything. My life today, I may say fuck 30 times in a minute, in a 10 minute span. Okay. Or probably more, right? Does it mean I'm not spiritual? Absolutely not. My entire, I thank God every single day. Who is that God that I'm praying to? Do I know what he looks like? Do I know what she looks like? Do I know what it looks like? Do I know what it sounds like? actually I do know what it sounds like right but I have no idea what it looks like however I know without a shadow of a doubt and I will tell you this another emotional moment in my life was when I was here we go when I was sitting in the in the delivery room when my daughter was born and I was I was only about 4 months sober right before the relapse, right? And I was holding my daughter in my arms and she's just a few hours old. My wife is is asleep because she's recovering from the C-section. And I am holding my daughter in my hands and I'm looking at this absolute purity, this angel in my life, who is 18 years old today, you know, just so you know. But... At that time, I'm holding this little tiny child in my hand, thinking to myself, how am I going to do this? I have no, I don't even know how to take care of myself. How am I going to take care of this baby? And it was one of those moments where I I said, God, help me. Just help me. (sighs) I don't know what to do. I'm going to fuck this kid up. And I felt, I felt this, I felt this warmness surrounding me. I guess it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay. And even though, even though a few months later, I would relapse, you know, Even when I came back from it, the presence was always there. The presence was always there. It was like, You're gonna be okay, Omar. You're gonna be okay, man. And as a matter of fact, it was it was in that moment where I was sitting there and I was thinking about her being fifteen years old and someone asking her, So what does your dad do for a living? And her saying, My dad died of a drug overdose. And so i made a commitment to myself that i was going to fucking, i was going to do whatever it took to become the man that she deserved me to be and so even after the relapse like when i came back from that relapse it was so miserable and i'm so grateful i'm so grateful for how horrible it was it was one of the most horrible all i could think about was her for two months And like, you, oh, you're such a piece of shit, and you lied, and you're asking God for help, and you're fucking out using again. And I mean, it was nasty. That's just a small example of day in and day out of the fucking verbal abuse I was putting on myself every single day just until I could finally stop and get that new sponsor. And that was May 26, 2003. She was born February 26, 2003. On May 26, 2003, I took the night before I had done my last cocaine, alcohol, weed, whatever the fuck it was, right, and dove headfirst into recovery. It was that moment. It was It was a moment that's indescribable. It's really hard to even just just i'm sure just by listening to my story it's impactful enough to recognize that there's no words really to to really express what a spiritual what a what what a spiritual connection is almost not almost is absolutely paramount i couldn't have done this without him i couldn't i prayed in ways that i had never prayed before in my life and he delivered every time he'd either put the right person in front of me, or he put the right message in front of me, or I'd be watching a fucking commercial or listening to a song or reading a passage in one of my books when I was, you know, studying in 12 steps. And it was a constant, like, you know, like a beautiful mind, you know, like I'd be reading some, ah, oh my God, oh, that, that was for me. You know, I'd be watching something. Oh, that was for me. And it was a constant. It would just be like, boom, boom, boom. But it's because I was open to it. I had opened that door like wide open. And I said, whatever it is, whoever you are, where I don't care. I don't, I have, I don't, I, I don't care what it is. Right? All I know is right now, it's the only thing that I can count on. And to this day, I'm 50 years old. My daughter is 18 years old. I have a life beyond my dreams. I'm a six-figure entrepreneur that works from home. I work from home coaching people. This is what I do. I talk to people every single day and I make six figures a year. Okay. Go figure. Right. From a a guy who 18 years ago prayed for death, is building a 4,000 square foot house on two acres overlooking the city in Costa Rica, massive success, been married eight years to an amazing woman, right, who has, who without question, God put in my life and you know, there's, there's, there's no comparison to the man that I was then to the man that I am today simply because I made the choice to completely surrender anything that I thought was important or anything I thought was the right thing to do or any decision I thought I needed to make. For one year of my life, I surrendered completely to my sponsor, to the program, and to God. And I single, I, 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 I owe everything to that year because it was from that year that I learned everything I needed to learn about how I was going to navigate the rest of my life.
2: That was, uh, I could feel all of that while you were speaking about that. And I really appreciate you sharing. Um, and like you put it, surrendering, right? That's such a big part of it and having faith in something bigger than yourself that there's something out there for you and once you allow it to run its course and kind of give in to that rather than trying to control and dictate how this goes but believe that there's a path for you that's out there there's so much that comes in that and like I could feel that when you're saying that and I think more people need to realize that like whatever you believe or or think having The ability to have faith in something bigger than you is so important. And I wanted to revisit when you were talking about earlier on about how like for the first time you could be yourself, right? When you would drink, you could finally be you and open up. And for myself, at least, I know when I would drink or I would use drugs in any capacity, I've... I felt like I was being my authentic self, like you said, and that really hit home with me. Like for the first time, I was like, I, I could talk like I want to talk. I could act like I want to act. I'm confident that I know is within me, but it finally can come out. I can present because I would be so scared to present. So I drink before I would do presentations. I would use Oxycontin or Xanax or whatever I could get my hands on before I would do these things because I knew I could be myself. So my question is like, did you have to rediscover who you were? when you became sober like did you have to kind of peel back these layers that you were numbing and avoiding and to be like who am I without this like how do I bring up that person that's in there because I think that all these drugs end up just bringing out who we really are but we need to do that without those you know needs those um, that the drugs or alcohol that we rely on this whole time
0: yeah that's uh, and I love that question because I've, I've answered this question a few times Right, the beautiful thing about that awakening, right? And you know, you discovering your most authentic self, it doesn't really matter how you do it. You know, when I with the undiagnosed ADD, I was probably about I don't know. Let's just say I was probably about 10 years, 10 11 years also into my recovery where I felt comfortable going to a psychiatrist to discuss my ADD. And he put me on Ritalin, okay? Now, Ritalin's a methamphetamine, yeah? So, I mean, hello, you know, it's addictive, right? And so, but it was time released. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my sponsor about it. I'm like, dude, you know what? I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of the fact that I can't be in a business meeting without either falling asleep or being completely scattered or all this, it's just too too much. I want to see. I think I have enough time right now. And he's like, I got your back. I got your back. Just stay close to me. You take it as prescribed. Let's see what happens. Right. You should be okay. So I took, I did it for about six months and the first two weeks were terrifying because it takes about two weeks for your body to adjust to the medication. So you're just kind of jittery and antsy and kind of like up. Right. And I was like, Ooh, this feels familiar. I don't like this feeling. I'm out of control. I feel like, you know, like, that cocaine kind of, like, high, kind of like, oh, this is fucking, you know, it's methamphetamine. Hello. And so, but what's funny is about two weeks in, it was like the jitters were gone. That high was gone. And it was like, if you ever watched that movie, um, Limitless. Oh, yeah. Good one. And, I mean, all of a sudden, it went, like, from 100 screens. Whoosh, to one screen and I was like I can focus on any one thing at a time right now without being distracted. It was felt like it was a, it was the most euphoric feeling again. Right? I was like, "Oh my god. This is amazing." Right? And so for about 6 months I was killing it. I think that's about the time I launched the podcast. It's probably about to, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the time I launched the podcast because I had, all my energy now could be focused on one thing at a time. I could compartmentalize my time. I could kill it at work. I could kill it at home. I could be like, it was like fucking amazing. So I think in that time frame, I, I, I'm pretty sure I launched the podcast um, at that time. And then about six months in, it stopped working. In, in other words, I would get for the the first part of the day, I'd get a couple of hours where I was feeling really focused. And then the rest of the day, I was feeling this kind of like sort of like twitchy, sort of like jacky feeling, like, like just like when you do too much blow. And I was like, oh, this is not good. So I went to the psychiatrist and I said, listen, I don't think it's working anymore. Blah, blah. These are some side effects that I'm feeling. He goes, oh, we got to up your dosage. And I said, and here's where the beautiful thing about being 10 years in recovery, right? And knowing yourself well. And I said, yeah, that's not going to happen. So guess what? I'm just going to go back to dealing with it, right? I've been dealing with it, you know, for 40 years of my life. You know, here's the interesting thing that happens. Whatever got corrected in those six months, it's stuck. Okay, so my ADD, kind of like my glasses. Okay, so I got laser surgery, but I have stigmatism, which means that when you have stigmatism, it changes year to year, no matter what. So I got laser surgery, but still about a year or two later, I had to get glasses again. But they were not even half the size. It was like a quarter of the size. The prescription was a quarter. And so my ADD, I feel like it was a quarter. And so when I stopped using drugs and alcohol, there was a part of me that's like, dude, you know how to be you. You learned it when you were out fucking partying like a man, man. And it was just kind of like this sort of, like, I just have to trust myself enough to let go because you know how to act. You've been there. You know how to like have fun. Just put the music on and allow yourself. Yes. In the meat suit. It feels a little awkward when you're kind of just first, you know, whenever, whenever I'm at a party and it's, Oh dude, it, it, has, it never fails. My wife just cracks up. I'm like, oh, man, we're going to go to another. Oh, we're going to go to your friend's party. Oh, God, I hate people. And <laughs> Oh, God. And it's like social anxiety. And she's like, what are you talking about? Every time I take you somewhere, by the end of the night, you're the guy leading the conga line, out of control, the life of the party. And I'm like, oh, God. It's the workup. So I always get there and it's always like, I'm just sitting there. I'm not doing shit. I'm just kind of chilling. Nothing's going on. I'm not doing anything. The music starts, things start happening. People start moving. I start inching my way over to the dance floor you know, just and I just got you know do the little the white man's shuffle, you know, kinda, you know that kind of thing, right? And before you know it, I got my jacket off, i like, sing singing along with the band. Everybody's like, "Oh, Mar, oh, Mar," right? It never fails, right? So, it's this, this, this beautiful humanness. Like, you have to recognize that you're a human being as you're listening to this. You are and will always be a human being. And there's certain things that you can take that help you alter the human experience, right? And they can work. They work for a lot of people. But they can also be very dangerous and fucking ruin your life. Let me just assure you that if you could just get through the awkwardness of being human for the first hour or so, something happens. And you start kind of like getting into your groove. And I don't know, I honestly can't tell you if that will work for everyone that hasn't really truly experienced being themselves like, you know, we have, Right, we've experienced that feeling of being ourselves through drugs and alcohol, but the memory is there, like the neural pathway has been created, you are a funny, fun, charismatic life of the party, okay, you inherited it from your father, that's who you are, man. Get out there and do it. And once I start, there's no stopping me. You
1: you learned to become Frank the Tank without the alcohol. You've kind yes, of been able to do yes, that.
0: <laughs> yes!
1: It tastes so good when it hits your lips. But oh, you're, you're doing it with so al- without oh. the alcohol. <laughs> That is exactly what you were able to do It's, it's amazing Omar, it, we either, th- this episode is going to go on for four more days Or we'll cut it here and then have you back on Because I, I, I want to do a part two with you Just to go through the journey of like How do we go from, from where you were And then all the, the amazing work that you're doing with men right now It's truly remarkable I am, I'm fucking so happy that the audience got to, to listen to part one Because we're going to follow it up with a part two um, on this journey This is, a, this is
0: tremendous Let's do it. Cause really that, and actually what you just said right there is my focus right now. My focus right now predominantly is helping men emote. It's helping men be emotional, be comfortable, being vulnerable. Okay. Hugging, saying, I love you. Okay. Being expressive, right? It's, it's what's been called to me over the last, over the last year. And it's 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 so strong, right? So yes, part two will be all about, you know, Omar after sober <laughs> Frank the tank.
1: <laughs> uh, Beautiful Omar, where can the building men audience find you? The
0: the best way to find me is Omarpinto.com. I make it very simple for you you can learn about my coaching you can learn about me you can learn about my podcast you can listen to my podcast right you can go to my youtube channel you can go to all my social media everything is right there you can reach out to me right from the website i'd love to hear from you that's tremendous anthony any final words um thank you for that that was
2: freaking tremendous that was such a good conversation so What's maybe one piece of advice for the Building Men audience would you give them? They could start tomorrow when they're at a standstill in their life or they are struggling with addiction or something that they could immediately put into place to kind of help them kickstart it.
0: So if when, when you're stuck, right, when you're stuck, it's your body's way of helping you recognize that a change must happen. It just has to happen. So if you're feeling, if you've reached a certain point in your life where you just can't go further, you feel stuck, you feel trapped, um, and also you have a hard time communicating exactly what it is that you're feeling or what's going on in your life, then the suggestion is you need someone like me, like a coach or a counselor or a therapist or someone that can help you start articulating what's actually going on in there. So when I'm coaching a guy, when I'm usually it's me, first of all, going into their going into their childhoods because it always stems from there. I haven't found a case yet that doesn't. But there's somewhere along the way what we were talking about, about being the authentic version of you. Okay, so let's say you are just a natural athlete or you are a painter or you are some sort something that. You know inherently you are, but somewhere along the lines you just went off course because your dad said you're never going to make any money doing that. That's a fucking pipe dream. Or your mom said, you know, that's really not something that you know, um, you know, that's that's not something you can really be proud of, or or whatever the case may be. Somewhere along the way, someone kind of pulls you, or or or, or, or yeah, it, it diverts your attention away from you. Somewhere along the line, someone that you know diverts your attention from you and you start following the wrong path. And even if you meet success along that path, it feels lackluster. It doesn't feel like you made it. It doesn't feel like you thought it would make you feel. And so now you find yourself in this place where you're stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to be happy. So the idea is to have someone who can help you like reconnect with you, reconnect with your purpose, reconnect with your path. And immediately what's going to happen is that feeling of stuckness starts to starts to move around. There becomes some wiggle room. Right. And that's typically, you know, from from this from this conversation right now, if that's what you're feeling, it means you're going in the wrong direction. That's all it means. Don't be too hard on yourself. Right. You can change in an instant. I know you think you can't. If you guys know the Aubrey Marcus, Ed Milet famous uh, YouTube uh, conversation where uh, Aubrey Marcus says, you know, people think they have to do shit, man. No, you don't. I have to go visit my mom. No, you don't. Dude, I have to to work six days a week. No, you don't. You know, I have to go to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. No, you don't. You don't have to do anything. You either choose to or you choose not to. But the minute you feel, the minute you say to anything, I have to do something, you're trapped. And that feeling of stuck is only going to grow from there. So find your way to someone who can help you unpack the stuckness. That is brilliant
1: advice. I wanna tell you, uh, based on your work with men, helping men say, I love you, I love you, Omar Pinto. I love you, brother. I love you, brother. <laughs> I, I, love I, love you. You, brother.
0: I love
1: you both. <laughs> so Building Men, you can find us on Instagram at building.men. coach at gmail.com is our email address. Buildingmen.io is our website. Uh, our two sponsors right now are FTR Apparel, Finish the Race Apparel, and Become Stronger Industries. Uh, we're working with... Um, chase tollison and austin linney we created a men's retreat it's called the hero's journey we'll be publicizing it over the next couple weeks and that will be from april 29th through may 1st in lake tahoe california so we're looking forward to that you'll find out more information about that go a step further than you thought you could go we'll see you next time on building men <laughs>